Welcome to another episode of Criterion on the Couch, a podcast from two amateur film buffs as they make their way through the vast Criterion collection one title at a time, all from the comfort of the couch. We record each episode immediately after we watch each film. I'm Adam Urich, along with Jim Massessa. Today's episode features election. Jim's going to take us through the official Criterion summary and specs. Perky, overachieving high schooler Tracy Flick, played by Reese Witherspoon, gets on the nerves of social studies teacher Jim McAllister, played by Matthew Broderick, to begin with. But after she launches her campaign for student body president and his personal life starts to fall apart, things spiral out of control. In Alexander Payne's satire, Election, the teacher becomes unhealthily obsessed with cutting his student down to size, covertly backing a spoiler candidate to stop her from steamrolling to victory, and putting in motion a series of dirty tricks and reckless promises with uncanny real-world political parallels. Adapting a then-unpublished novel by Tom Parada, Payne grounds the absurdity of his central dynamic in the recognizable. The setting is his hometown of Omaha, Nebraska, and the accomplished cast is rounded out with non-professionals, and distills his closely observed take on deeply flawed humanity to its bitter but stealthily sympathetic essence. This movie came out in 1999. It is 103 minutes long. It's in color. 5.1 surround sound. 2.35 to 1 aspect ratio. We're watching the Blu-ray edition. And if you're following along at home, we're on number 904. Well done. Thank you. It was a travesty. <laughs> so you said you've never seen this before? No, I... You had seen it. I have seen it once. It's been a while. But yeah, it's been years since I saw it. Yeah, I forgot it was a MTV production because I feel like a lot of other movies. The only one I can really think of offhand is like Josie and the Pussycats, which was an MTV production. You can tell that was an MTV movie. It was very goofy and like over the top and like right. made a lot of plugs to musical artists. And I feel like you don't really get that in this movie, even music wise. It's not like they weren't playing a bunch of popular bands at the time. Right. But Alexander Payne, I think this is maybe like his third movie, third popular movie anyway. I think it was his, was it his first? I thought it was his, like, this was like his big breakout movie. Well, About Schmidt came, came out, out after this. Oh, you're right, you're right. And so did Sideways, and The Descendants was obviously a couple yeah, years ago, yeah, and yeah. then Nebraska. Yeah, all right. So, so like maybe this was songs. one of his. He and did the have Paris, a. What is the there's one called um, Paris something, Paris Jetami or something like that. Oh yeah, Jetem. Yeah. Yeah, there's one that's a, a woman's name. That was one of his early movies because I think the woman who plays. Oh, um, Citizen Ruth. Yes, Citizen Ruth, the woman uh, who Laura played. Dern. Yeah, she's the main character, but the woman who plays Linda in this movie, she was in that movie as well. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, but it's a. Uh, I think in general I tend to like his movies. Brod- very... Yeah, Matthew Broderick. What about Godzilla? No, I was gonna say Alexander Payne. <laughs> no, just. Uh, yeah, Godzilla no, yeah, was do. okay. Um, no, I do like uh, his movies. Sideways is one of my favorite movies, and I really like The Descendants too. Yeah, Descendants is great. Nebraska was good. Not really. It was. It was uh, for my my opinion. It was. It was okay. But uh, The Descendants and Sideways are two of my favorite of his movies. The Sideways is in California, right? Yeah. Yeah, so this movie's in Nebraska. Nebraska is Nebraska. So the filming of this film mostly takes place in a high school. The high school itself that they filmed in, I believe, was in 
Nebraska. It wasn't in Omaha. They tried to get a high school in Omaha, but they had to like read the script ahead of time and they didn't want to have that type of film filmed in their school. So they ended up going right across the county line to the next county and they filmed at a high school down there. Looked pretty realistic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could tell there was not really, uh, there weren't really, you know, like they weren't on a soundstage. No, according to the bonus features on this DVD, Blu-ray, the um, the school they filmed in, they filmed in during the school year while classes were going on. Almost all of the students you see in the movie are just students from that high school. Uh-huh. A lot cool. of the kids who have speaking roles, like the kids who are counting the votes, some of the kids that are behind Reese Witherspoon when up at the actual like voting area, they're all just students from the school and they got to try out they gave first stab to the high school kids to do any of the lines. And even like in the assembly, like all the students in the bleachers are just the high school kids. The kid who spits on um, what's on uh, Jim's yep. window. He, he was, was from the high school. Really? Because yeah. he's gone on to be in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, uh, a bunch of them did. And again, if, if you watch some of the uh, bonus features on here, they interview some of them. They're saying like this is really their first, the first chance they ever got to do any type of acting the kid so not that kid but the the shorter kid who counts the votes with Mm -hmm. him uh that that was her his first acting as well and he said it was getting close to the last day of filming and he's like i I just got up the nerve and i went over to reese witherspoon and i was like hey can i take you out on a date so they just like she kind of laughed and they went and got coffee and and came back so he could tell his friends he went on Uh, a date with her yeah, the, it was the um, the teachers, a lot of the teachers as well are, were real teachers from the high huh, school. That's cool. And the janitor was a real janitor, but I don't think he was a janitor from that high school. That janitor had a look to him too. Like he looked vindictive. Yeah, he had a really good look. He kind of looked like two Milton scenes, from- Two shots and he basically has the same look. Yes. On. He doesn't say anything. He just says that like deadly stare, which is kind of, I mean, he has no lines, but really- the whole story kind of hinged on a decision that he must have made, the janitor, because he finds those votes at the end. I mean, really, the entire movie hinges on a discarded uh, container of old Chinese food. That's true. There's actually a bunch of points in this movie where if one thing had gone differently, the whole story would have changed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's sort of... Um, what Tracy talks a lot about is destiny and trying yeah. to like own your destiny or change your destiny. She kind of says that at the very beginning. You see, you can't interfere with destiny. That's why it's destiny. And if you try to interfere, the same thing's just going to happen anyway. And you'll just suffer. I, I, I do kind of have a problem with that, the thing where he kind of tosses the, thi- the the container on the floor and it spills. The character Jim doesn't really... He's not the kind of guy. He wouldn't have just left that on the floor, though. Right. He that, probably he didn't, the janitor it up. exactly. So the janitor didn't like. Oh, oh, I miss it. I'll, I'll get to it as he's like trying to clean the fridge out. Like mm-hmm. it would had he had he thrown a bunch of stuff away, moved the trash can, and just looked at it, and then like walked away, and the janitor saw that. Then I could see him being kind of vindictive about it. But like, yeah, because there's a scene shortly after that where he's talking to Tracy, and then when he walks away, he picks up a little piece of trash off the ground and puts it in the garbage can. So. He's he takes care of his school. Yeah, it's almost like he was wrongly. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, he's almost kind of wrongly accused, but not wrongly accused, but kind of like you know, it just it just didn't work out for him. Well, he him. made a bad impression without even yeah. realizing it, and that came back to haunt him in the end. 
Yeah, well, even too, it's even like when he was, um, you know, he kind of had his little fling with with Linda, right? What was her name, mm-hmm. Linda? He wanted it, but he also wasn't the one who instigated it. He made yeah. the one comment in the car that could have been slightly taken as a joke. So what do you think? Should we get a room? Should we get a what? But then she was the one who kind of made the move on him to do it. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that that one's a little that was a little tricky because he was definitely into her before that when he was over. Well, no, of course. So this is the second movie in a row we've watched where an adult is kind of taking advantage of a younger. Yeah, that's true. I mean, in the in the graduate, Dustin Hoffman's much older than Tracy Flick is in here and the roles are reversed. Well, yeah, I mean, he's like a college graduate. I assume that Tracy's 18, maybe, I guess. Probably. We... She's, it's her senior year, so she, I'm going to guess maybe 17. But also, the affair she has with her teacher is sometime before this happens. That's true. So you don't know if it's senior year or the year before. Because it said yearbook committee, which kind of made me feel like it might have been the previous oh, year's right, yearbook. right, right. One of the other major characters is played by Chris Klein. He plays Paul Metzler. And this was also his first acting gig. This was pre-American Pie. I believe at the time he was just a high school student, not at the high school they filmed at, but nearby. And one of one of his teachers had sent information on him over to where they were filming and they had him come in and try out. And that was his first acting gig. Wow, that's crazy. One film just films him in Nebraska. Changes everyone's life. Changes yeah. everyone's destiny. That's the uh, it's the Hollywood of Middle America, I guess. Yeah, I mean, hey, Warren Buffett. Yeah, he's he's big into movies. Oracle of Omaha. Yeah. The other actress, Jessica Campbell, who plays his sister Tammy. Right. Pretty sure this was her first acting gig, and she was actually a last minute replacement. They originally had Thora Birch slated to play this part. And I think it came down to like one week before filming and her and Alexander Payne just didn't agree on where that character was supposed to go. So they ended up replacing her with Jessica Campbell, Mm. who just came in to to try out. That's kind of weird because at the time, I think Thor Birch, her name was a little well known because I think Ghost World had come out Mm -hmm. before this. Well, hello there, young employee of the Sidewinder. Look, I already told you guys I'm not going to give you a ride. What can you tell me, young man, about the uh, various flavors of frozen yogurt? So she would have been more of a headliner for this movie because really Reese Witherspoon and Matthew Broderick were the only people you would really know by name, I think, looking at at that time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The guy who played the principal, though, too, I don't remember his name, but he is, he's in Veep, and I really like him in Veep. okay. Uh, He really, he looks like a... Like a principal. He's got that look to him, the way he talked with his hands and pointing at people. And and it kind of felt like most of the high school in this felt very realistic. Not even just the look of it, but the way people behaved. And that could be because the students were real students. You never got that feeling of a lot of modern movies or maybe an MTV type movie 
when they're showing a high school, it's like totally unrealistic. Yeah, like, it's kind of like, like if you think about uh, like 10 things I hate about you. Yeah. Like it's super, there's all the clicks and it's like very stereotyped. And I feel like this was definitely a little bit more of a realistic portrayal. Yeah, yeah. That principal, by the way, he was Phil Reeves, I believe. That's his name. The dad of Paul and Tammy is played by Holmes Osborne, who is in one of my favorite movies, Donnie Darko. Yeah. He's Donnie's dad. He's Donnie's dad, yeah. So we're not supposed to tell anyone what nobody knows. Yes. (laughs) But you don't, uh... What's your doctor's name? Dr. Thurman, Dad. Yes. You tell Dr. Thurman whatever you want. He wasn't in Melancholia. He was not. He wasn't something else I saw not too he's long ago. He's like a character actor. He's been in a lot of yeah. He's been a lot of stuff. So this movie was also based on a novel, just like The Graduate, or an unpublished novel hmm. by Tom Parada. Tom Parada also wrote the book The Leftovers, which I did read. Uh, I never yeah. read Election, but HBO then made a series based on The Leftovers. The premise is the same as the book, but it got Wait, the book wasn't very dark. It was just kind of like election, like a slice of life. Right. But, oof. HBO series is great, but it left me feeling sick after watching like every episode. Oh my gosh. No, I haven't seen it. Good stuff. That's um Justin Thoreau. Uh-huh, yeah. And um, Liv Tyler. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember seeing that guy a lot of from stuff Kung about Fu. it, but... Didn't uh, Damon Lindelof Damon Lindelof do leftovers? Didn't he write? Wasn't he a writer, a producer, a director, a writer on that? Possibly Janelle Maloney from The West Wing. She's oh, in yeah. she's in leftovers. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Scott Glenn. Oh, yeah. So Tracy Flick, definite overachiever. Yeah. Right in the beginning of the movie, it goes by very quick. I wouldn't have noticed the first time I saw this movie, but. I paid attention this time when she's unfolding her table to set up just to get signatures the very first time she unfolds five legs. There's not actually five legs on the table, but if you watch the way they cut it, cause it's like there's five snaps Huh. again on the special features. They say that's on purpose because she's such an overachiever. She has five legs on a four legged table. <laughs> that's pretty funny. One of the things that she said you know, at the beginning when they're kind of doing the voiceover, you know, she talked about being an only child. and Nine times out of ten, they say you have to hold on to your dreams no matter what. The pressures women face mean you have to work twice as hard, and you can't let anything or anyone stand in your way. And I think that kind of really, like, ran through the whole film, that she was just determined. I would want to say, like, a go-getter, like, very ambitious person. And she definitely has a lot of ambition, but I think it's placed wrongly. She's trying to be someone that she thinks I think her mom wants her right, to be right not necessarily but doesn't really know anything she just clearly has like no I mean she has no no friends who knows how long like even at the end of the movie when she's with the uh that representative um the Nebraska representative she probably still doesn't have any friends you know I mean I think she's just about achieving the things and, and doing the work it reminded me a little bit of sort of the the critique of like Hillary Clinton Mm-hmm. that she you know is really really good at what she does she's a good politician and a good lawyer she just wasn't a very personable person right. in that sense that she would have been good at the job but not in like trying to make herself 
interact with other people and actually have like a conversation and be real it was clearly like you would watch her in debates and things like that and what she was saying was good if you agree with her politically but she just seemed it seemed very robotic yeah so in election when everyone's when the three candidates are giving their speeches uh, before the election tracy's speech makes the most sense and you know listening if you just listen to the words if you read the words of their speeches hers fits what that office should be but she's like booed when she gets up there people don't like her i spoke with sophomore reggie banks who said his mother works in the cafeteria and can't afford to buy him enough spiral notebooks for his classes eat me eat me raw (laughs) yeah she's a square you know she's she's an overachiever she's in everything she's just one of those kids that a lot of other kids in school just like love to hate yeah whereas paul is pretty much the complete opposite where everybody loves him but he doesn't have any ambition the only things he had ambition for were the things that just came easy to him being athletic being like well i guess athletic was really it he lists some other things but they're all like owning a truck I wouldn't say he's not really a stereotype. He, because he, he's an inter, it's interesting. He's a weird stereotype. He's like a combination of stereotypes. Yeah, because he's 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 basically a dumb jock, but he's also he has no ego whatsoever. Right. He's super nice. You know, wants he like is everybody's friend. Whatever. He's just kind of like the perfect character. You know, right. in, in he, this type he of he cares more about his sister and Tracy in the election than he cares about. Right. Himself. He doesn't even vote for himself. It's so weird. Do people always just vote for themselves? Because Looking at my own name on the ballot, I just, I don't know. I just felt like it's not right to vote for yourself. Which would have made the election a tie. Yeah, I feel like you can kind of see that coming when they take time to show him thinking about voting for himself or not. They're spending a lot of time on him deciding not to make this one vote. That one vote's probably going to come back in the end. Well, yeah, I mean, I think when you start the movie and it gets the whole point of her becoming, you know she's going to win the election. Do you? I think so. I don't know how any other way the movie would have gone that it wouldn't, or, or you know, the story would have gone that it would have been any good. Right. Because if she loses, then, I mean, it, it would have gone in a different direction. It could have gone in a lot darker direction. So there was actually a different ending for this movie that was originally shot and showed to audiences, and they did not like it, so they went back and reshot the ending. So up to the point where he leaves the school, where Jim McAllister leaves the school, it was the same. But after that, in our ending, he goes to New York and becomes like a museum right. guide. In the previous ending, he becomes a car salesman in this, I think, in the same town. And Tracy ends up going there to buy a car. That's where they run into each other again. But instead of being upset, they actually have a talk about her time in high school. And he ends up signing her yearbook. And it's kind of like they've made up at the end. Mm-hmm. And nobody. Nobody liked that as an ending because they said it was, that's not how the movie was. Like, it's a total change in character in, yeah, like, the last it would minute. Have been. Yeah. So, yeah, I really... I wouldn't have liked that either. I love this ending because it, even down to, like, the last few seconds, he's, while Jim is narrating... And I suddenly realized I wasn't angry at her anymore. I just felt sorry for her. I mean, when I think about my new life and all the exciting things I'm doing... And then I think about what her life must be like. Probably still getting up at five in the morning to pursue her pathetic little dreams. It just makes me sad. I mean, where is she really trying to get to anyway? 
What is she doing in that limo? Like, as he's talking, he's getting angrier and angrier, and then he just throws his drink at the, I know, at the car bad. and takes off running. I saw also on the bonus features, he they're in front of the White House when they shoot that, and he runs away from the limo towards the White House, and he actually had Secret Service men jump out at him because they didn't know who he was, just running towards the White House. And I, I looked, I think you could see it right before the camera cuts. There's a guy running in in like a black suit from our left in front of Matthew Broderick. Like he's going to tackle him. So I don't know if that was one of the huh, secret I'll have service to go back guns. and look at that. I mean, out of the, outside of the White House, they don't wear, they yeah, don't yeah, wear yeah, suits, yeah. their uniform division. It might have been like a track suit because they were on the sidewalk there. Mm-hmm. I could have just been a guy in a track suit running. <laughs> Very well. Because they don't have like undercover secret service agents outside of the White House. They have out the uniform division. Right, right. And then the guys who wear suits and are with the president, they're special agents. So that I did a whole like, like report on the secret service once. Once. Twice. Three times the lady, lady, which was featured oh, look at that. in this movie yeah. by the Commodores. Once, twice, three times a lady, and I love you. Good song. The other song they played a lot of, I believe it's called Navajo Joe. From a 1966 movie of the same name, starring huh. Burt Reynolds. What do you know? So every time, like when she kind of gets mad, they play this music, which is just kind of like screaming and wailing, and you could see like her nostrils are flared. Oh yeah, and her yeah. eyes get really big. But really, her nostrils are flared the entire movie. Well, she flares her nostrils. Like I noticed that at the very beginning, when she sets her table up and sits down, it's just kind of on her face, and you just see her nostrils just kind of like flare a little bit, and then. It's like determined because nobody's even there and she's not mad yet at that point. It's just like she's set everything up. She's ready to go. And she kind of does the same thing on election day when she has all the cupcakes set up and her mom's there with her. That was another spot. I I wanted to see if that was like another overachiever thing because she said she made 480 cupcakes. And then when they count the votes, there were 800 and some, I think. Yeah. So... She brought in cupcakes for less than half of the people, but I guess it's crazy to well, think. Well, 480 wouldn't be less than half of 800. 400 and, no, you're right. 480 cupcakes, 803. All right. So still had a lot. I mean, it's a lot of cupcakes. <laughs> it is a lot of cupcakes. That's 400 cupcakes. Right. So a dozen. 100 cupcakes is a lot of cupcakes to make. Yeah. To yeah. make, considering there's maybe what? How many go in a cupcake She made four, 40 dozen Yeah, that's a lot of cupcakes. (laughs) That's a big order for a store. Not only did she make the cupcakes, but each one is iced and has pick flick or vote for flick or whatever on the cupcake. Again, 480 of those. That's pretty impressive. Granted, our mom helped her. Yeah, I think it's interesting just the way the kind of like the way his hatred for her just builds. Right. You kind of see it at the end of the movie when, you know, the girl like raises her hand and mm-hmm. he's on the museum guide thing. So it's clear like, oh, yeah, I've had a student like this. But it's funny that he doesn't comment in the movie about how, you know, that he's had students like Tracy in the past before. He's never had like an overachiever in the class. So I think it's sort of just interesting that it builds over time. It's sort of like him, you know, his friend. And he kind of, 
even though really it's his friend's fault yeah. for that sort of relationship. I think it's the moment. Yeah, I think he just doesn't like her because he's almost maybe scared of her, scared to be around her, of like being tainted. I feel like it's that moment when she's standing at his car talking to him and she kind of starts talking slightly seductively. That right, he maybe, she's running her fingers on the window. Yeah, he maybe has this moment where he's like, oh crap, maybe this really was her fault. And mm-hmm. she, I mean, when you see it though, it was definitely like his friend Dave who. But he does see her face too when he is um, in bed with his wife. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't tell if that was out of anger or yeah, I think it was out he of just anger. couldn't get her out of his head. But later, when he is giving her like a lecture on making mistakes after the posters are torn down and he has her in the teacher's lounge, she says, And I think certain older people like you and your colleague shouldn't be leching after their students, especially when some of them can't even get their own wives pregnant. Yeah, that was like, what? how would she know that? The only reason she would know well, that she would is know if, that from her from Dave. Yeah, you can see his eyes really going all over the place there, Jim. Like he's blinking and blinking, like registering one. She's yelling at him. Two, what she just said is kind of an insult to him. But three, how does she even know that? Well, he's processing. She knows that because Dave must have told her. What else has Dave told her? Before what you were saying mm, about yeah, him being true. kind of scared of her. Now it's almost like she just hinted that she knows personal details about his life so now she really is a threat yep and i think really though his motive for having her lose the election is just she's gotten everything it's almost and actually i take that back it's really more that he's head of the like he's the advisor to the student government Mm -hmm. council he teaches social studies he teaches kids about government and the election is there's no one else running it's just one person right you know, he wants it to set up to be something, but then like really it's more of his realization that the kids are just apathetic towards it because they're just voting for her to vote for her that like no one really cares. Kind of what Tammy goes into that whole kind of speech on. Who cares about this stupid election? We all know it doesn't matter who gets elected president of Carver. Do you really think it's going to change anything around here? You can see he's sort of aghast that, that speech is going on. Mm-hmm. You wonder like, uh, you know, he knows that it's just stupid. Like, even when Paul sits down at the diner and is going through, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Obviously, he's gone through everything he's gone through. Paul's sort of asking about, about like, Halloween parties and things like that and realizes just how, like, pointless the, the whole student council thing is. I don't think the point of any student council is really to make changes in your school. I think it's more to give real-world, well, as close to real-world experience in politics and running right like running some type of organization for people that are are younger and wouldn't really be able to get any experience with that something that i don't i don't know if maybe there was an edit and it got cut out of the movie when tracy tears down all the posters in the hallway she's still in the hallway but she's like looking at what she's done and she looks at her hands and she's got paper cuts all over her hands and there's blood coming out of her hands so you I would expect that's going to be like a tell. Somebody's going to see that. Yeah, I thought the same thing too. I was waiting for him to notice that she had paper cuts yeah, and on her hands. They never no showed that really again. Did. But I guess depending on when the things came down, you didn't have a couple of days. Paper cuts aren't that. They would heal pretty quickly. Yeah, that's true. So towards the beginning of the movie, when Jim is convincing Paul to run for the first time, he does it by using an analogy of fruit. And... I didn't see this on on the bonus features or anything, so I don't know if this is correct, but I feel like 
that analogy of fruit runs through the entire movie. I, I, I paid special attention. There's apples in a lot of scenes. So he's got, Jim has like wooden apples on his desk. There's magnets of apples. There's an actual edible apple on his desk at he is at a teacher. Office. Like yeah, that's yeah, basically yeah. the symbol of a teacher. But he has apples in his fridge at home. He has an apple magnet on the fridge. There's apple computers in the school. Oh my God. But so in his in his example, when he's drawing on the blackboard, he asks Paul like what his favorite fruit is. There's Paul, what's your favorite fruit? Pears. Pears. Good. Okay. Let's say Oh no, wait. Ha- apples. Apples. Fine. So he says, okay, what if all you ever saw were apples? Let's say all you ever knew were apples. Apples, apples, and more apples. You might think apples were pretty good, even if you got a rotten one once in a while. But then one day, there's an orange. And now you can make a decision. Do you want an apple or do you want an orange? So in that example, Tracy is the apple. Paul is the orange being introduced. So if you follow that metaphor through, that means Tammy is the banana. Because at the end, he also says, oh, I also like bananas. Or is she a pear? Because that's the first fruit that he says that he likes. Well, later on at Paul and Tammy's house, Paul comes home. There's a bowl of fruit on the table with pears, apples, oranges, and bananas in it. And he grabs a banana. Eh, huh. Which could be because he likes his, he really likes his sister. I feel like that's- There was one pear kind of in the background. I've never, I mean, I get people just pick up pears and eat them like you would eat an apple. I've yeah, never, not I've my never favorite. Really, no, I mean, I like pears, but not in that way. So continuing through this, Tracy wears a lot of red items. She also has one of those, I think they call it like Macintosh tartan plaid designed skirts on. Right. So that's kind of another apple-y reference. When, when she is kind of really starting to ruin his life with the like posters and the scandal at the school. It's the same time him and Linda are kind of having their own affair and he ends up getting stung by a bee from an apple tree. So, so while Tracy is like kind of ruining him at school, this symbolic apple is also ruining his life outside. Yeah, that's good. Then later after, yeah, I guess the tainted results of the election and he's at the restaurant by himself. So he's just kind of brought her down. So he's caused her to lose the election. He is celebrating at a restaurant by himself eating apple pie. So now he... Is it Applebee's? I don't know about that. Because that would have been amazing. Uh, it could have been... I think there was a Denny's in one shot. Oh, okay. But, but he's eating apple pie. So now he is taking control over that thing. It's cut up and he is destroying it. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, again, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too no, much I into mean, that. No, I mean, I don't... I, I think would, the fruit bowl in Paul and Tammy's house has to have been there on purpose. No, I would say that, I mean, the, all the apple stuff may, in, in, the, in the classroom maybe a little bit of a stretch because he's a teacher in it. But then again, it could also just be that he's a teacher, so they, it's just kind of used as a way to... A common theme as it goes through. Yeah. I think it makes sense. I mean, that's a good... That's a really good analysis of, of it. Uh, when he's uh when he gives the pop quiz to his students and then runs out to go to the hotel and get stuff ready, there's two shots of him, one leaving the building where he's running down the hallway talking about uh, Jim, 
And then when he comes back, he's running through the hallway again to get back to his class. I kept waiting for him to run and then like walk in front of the doors to the classrooms and run again and then walk because that's what yeah. the principal in Ferris Bueller's Day Off yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things I thought was funny about about um, Jim's character was that he had that huge keychain with like the big clip on mm-hmm. it. Just It just caught my attention at, at the very beginning of the movie and it just seemed very janitor-like. Yeah. And then I thought it was funny that he didn't have the key to the ballot box on his keychain. He had it somewhere else and had to like dig around to try to find it. Right, right. So by the end, he's kind of like a disillusioned teacher. Yeah. His very last line in the movie is when he's at the museum calling on the kids, trying to get them to answer a question. And you said, you know, that one little girl's raising her hand and he's just going. What's the difference between igneous and sedimentary anyway? Anybody? Yeah. Call back to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ben yeah. Stein is the teacher. In an effort to alleviate the effects of the, anyone, anyone, the Great Depression, past the, anyone, anyone. It's like he has become the dis- disillusioned teacher. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's true. There was a shot when, uh, I guess, Dave and Jim, I don't know if they're just jamming or if they have like a band in, yeah, that was kind of weird. It reminded me of um, the movie I Love You, Man. Yeah, yeah. But there's a, a poster on the wall. There's like a red sports car. And then later, there's a kind of like an imagined shot when Jim's driving oh, yeah, a red yeah. sports car. And I was I'm like, are either of those like the red Ferrari from Ferris Bueller's Day Off? But no, they weren't. No, they were. And even the po- the one that was on the wall when he was driving were very different. Yeah, I think the the poster was a Corvette. And I think he was driving a Jaguar. I think so. It was like an old, like '60s era Jaguar. Talking about posters, um, I liked seeing the all those like motivational quote posters on <laughs> Tracy's wall. It just made me laugh. Like those inspiration posters, she had, like right. five of them on the wall. I like Paul's like presidential posters in the high school. There was something like Metzler go go getter or something like that. Yeah. Oh, the Paul. Yeah, it was like. Uh, yeah, I forget what it was, Metzler. It like There's rhymed. like, vote for Paul, he's a real team player because he's like the sports guy. <laughs> right. Yeah, they were all really cheesy. <laughs> Did you have like a student council in your high school? Did you have like class president and all that stuff? And like, it was, was it like a big deal like this was with the big election and stuff? Uh, I remember this, my senior year's one because, well, I mean, it was my class. So I knew a bunch of the people that were running. But other than the election itself, I don't really know what else. I'm sure they did stuff, but... I can't remember anything that came out of it. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember us having a class president, but I don't remember voting for him. I don't even remember there being any type of campaign. I mean, it, in essence, it was somewhat of a popularity contest. Right. Because I think really your only response, your only like ongoing responsibility is that it's, I think it's on you to plan all of the high school reunions. Like that's sort of like the that traditional thing. That is true. Thing, that is true. That you own that. Because I know we were supposed to have a, f- so I guess you're supposed to have a class reunion every five years. But yeah, that's I, kind of the standard. Yeah, so we we didn't have a five-year reunion, and then we had a 10-year reunion. He did it all through Facebook. So it was just sort of this very, like, yeah, you know, little bit amount. Of, and then it was just sort of like food at a local bar. And uh, we are fifth. this would have been our um, 15-year, and I haven't heard anything. So I guess we're not having a 15-year. And I remember him saying at the 10-year reunion, I'm going to be way better about this for the 15-year reunion. And we're definitely, at this point, we're not going to have one. I feel like we would have had one by now. 
right? Like, don't they normally do that in the... I mean, because our last one was in the summer. Yeah, so... Uh, have you had high school reunions? Have you gone to your high school reunions? I did have one. Have you had your, one, like, 40th high school reunion? I don't want to say which one, but I had one last year, and it was originally supposed to be, I think, in May or April. It was early in the year, and they couldn't get enough people to actually respond, so they ended up pushing it back until November. Right. And even then, it was very low attendance. I would say at my high school reunion, the people that showed up, I would expect to have showed up. And the people who didn't, I would have expected them to not have shown up, with handfuls of exceptions of people who just like couldn't make it. Right. But yeah, it was, I mean, it was interesting. There were a couple people that I hadn't seen in a long time. Well, I mean, like 10 years since high school that it was cool to catch up with. But I mean, like not that I stayed in touch with anyone more after that or, or whatever. It was just like, you know. I feel like nowadays with, facebook and everything else the people that you want to stay in contact with even if you're just like a friend on some social media platform you're probably already in contact with them yeah i would say i noticed that a lot um that there's groups of kids who are really good friends in in high school that have stayed in contact and without social media that would be yeah it'd be very difficult if not impossible to do something like that so you're probably not missing much not going to a reunion even if they don't have it, because the people that you probably want to talk to, you already do. Yeah. Just think about how different this movie would be if it was would have been made 10 years later. Oh, yeah. Like, there's no difference in this movie if it were to get made in 1989, even 1979. There really would not be yeah. much difference to what's what's going on. So it'd be interesting to know when he wrote that, when uh, the author wrote, wrote the story. But, like, you set this 10 years into the future, and it's a whole whole different movie right they because didn't... you introduce social media you introduce yeah. the kids having cell phones in in class i mean it just become and like the the whole thing of the story afterwards where it's like in the newspapers and stuff like that right. i mean he's like oh yeah it's like a funny story that people send to each other yeah the whole thing would have blown up it would have been on the news you know even the teachers firing like that would have gotten around there would have been text messages all right. that stuff it would have come out it's just it's just really interesting to see how those the 10 years between, you know, 1999 and, and 2009 just completely change everything. Yeah, even the voting itself, maybe they wouldn't have used paper sheets. He might not have been able to kind of rig the election the way he did. Yeah, maybe. I, I thought it was funny that they actually had like voting booths and everything. Oh, we did in our like, high school too. Really? I yeah. Don't, I don't remember that. I don't think we had a class. Like, I don't think, I don't, I don't, I think, feel like it was done in like our homerooms and we just handed a piece of paper <laughs> and we handed it back to our homeroom teacher. I don't remember there being, even for, um, even for homecoming, I think we just because we well, didn't do yeah, prom. Yeah. I don't think we did a prom. We didn't do prom remember, king and queen. I don't remember those. Well, the prom king and queen we voted at the prom for that. So that I think was just like you dropped it in a. Yeah, we didn't have that in my high school. What's so funny is I feel like I watch a lot of movies about high school. This I feel like oh, these stereotypes are ridiculous. Like what high school is like this? Right. And then I talked to other people and they were like, Oh no, yeah, we had the jocks, we had the geeks. Like I distinctly remember a lunch table that I sat at. I think in my junior year or my senior year was a complete like amalgam of random people who never really like a couple of us hung out together outside but it was sort of like you know uh one of the starting volleyball players a kid who was a total quiet like skater kid who like definitely didn't hang out with any of us kid who was like a wide receiver on the football team Mm -hmm. other kid who was you know just like groups of people who just not would normally not like even the volleyball player and the football player were not friends like outside of school. So it's just sort of this weird, yeah. You like we were just like this weird, this weird like annex table. It was just kind of funny that it was, and we you know even then observed that. 
And that's what I think I liked about this movie was that there's not a lot of crazy high school stereotypes in it. Right. You don't, there aren't like clear, because I feel like in a lot of high school movies, there's like factions of kids who get together. Like the Breakfast Club would be an, an exception because it's, it's only just like those are the kids plucked from the, each stereotype of groups of friends that you only see. But in a lot of high school movies, you just have that like it's the, this group of friends versus this group of friends. And, you know. Well, this movie is really, it's not looking at any of that. It's focused on four very particular students and two of them are related. Well, but you would still think that that would come out somehow in them. Because in, where, where are all the football players? The guy was the starting quarterback of the football team. Two of them. Yeah, but I'm saying like you you would have expected there to have been more of like an aggressive I don't know. I just which is kinda weird that the starting quarterback, even though he was hurt and probably won't play again, you didn't see a lot of those kids kind of with him supporting him being some sort of dominant force to try to beat Tracy in the election. I just thought that was an interesting I mean, obviously it would have taken away from the story and everything, but just kind of an interesting way that in a good way that they were able to focus on just these characters without bringing extraneous people into the story. Yeah, you're right. Cause he really, other than, uh, Lisa, who was his sister's girlfriend, I guess. Life is so weird. First, Lisa has a big fight with my sister. And the next thing you know, she's my girlfriend. Since Lisa knew all about public relations and stuff, she offered to help me with my campaign. Other yeah. than her, there's nobody really hanging out with him. Right, and even when he's giving his speech, so he gives his speech and it's like all this monotone, like it's all said in one sentence. That speech was great. As many of you know, I broke my leg pretty bad this year and the experience has made me reevaluate what I want to do with my life and that is help people. When you think about it, a school is more than a school. It's our second home where we spend all our time and grow as individuals and a community. But is our school everything it could be? I want our school to reach its true potential. That's why I'm running for president. I know what it is to fight hard and win, like when we almost went to state last fall and I threw the fourth quarter pass against Westside for the touchdown and won the game by three points. I won't let you down like I didn't then. I promise we can all score a winning touchdown together. Vote Paul Metzler for president. Thank you. When the kids cheered at the end, I was like, who are the football players? I maybe saw the two kids with like, you know, the school like team shirts on. Yep. But I was like, are they really like are they on the team or what's the deal here? Cause I couldn't, f- you would have expected like this group of guys in like varsity jackets to like stand up and be clapping and all this stuff and like whooping for him. But I, it was just kind of weird to me that that was just left off out of the movie. Was it his sister when his sister gives the speech or no, I, I think it's when Tracy's giving her speech and the, the kid like yells out in the middle, the principal gets up and he says, Hey, if you can't be adults and give these candidates the courtesy they deserve, then you don't deserve to be called adults, but children, because that's what children are, and you'll be treated like children. So let's all listen up, huh? It's such like a classic. Like, oh, yeah. That's totally something a principal would say, where it's like you say a sentence one way, and then you're saying it another way, but it's got like a different meaning. And yeah. it, it really reminded me of the movie Mystery Men. One of the like fake superheroes is called Sphinx, uh-huh. and he, all his lines are just ridiculous things like that like he says uh for when you care for what is outside what is inside cares for you or he who questions training only trains himself at asking questions <laughs> and then he starts doing one where he's like your temper is very quick my friend but until you learn to master your rage your rage will become your master that's what you're gonna say right 
right? Not necessarily. <laughs> uh, yeah. Again, the principal, kind of a throwaway character. Yeah, I feel like I've heard, I heard a principal of mine say that. Or we're going to treat you like children. Right. That was always the big thing. You're Well, adults. and that's what he says at the end. Yeah. Like, you don't deserve to be treated like adults. Did you pick up on anything with the the whole Coca-Cola thing? That seemed kind of weird to me. Clearly, like there's a, so there's a couple of scenes in which he's drinking Pepsi. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was kind of like, well, that was what was interesting about that scene. You know, I had only seen this once a long time ago. I totally forgot about the that conversation or the Pepsi thing or whatever. But she uses that analogy and she's talking about how there's no competition. He makes a comment about there being no competition. And then she goes on to talk about Coca-Cola as if Coca-Cola is the only cola that exists. Well, she and says, I can't wait to start campaigning. Ah, well, should be easy for you. So far, no competition. Yeah, but you know, Coca-Cola is by far the world's number one soft drink, and they spend more money than anybody on advertising. I guess that's how come they stay number one. What she's saying is, oh, I still have to campaign and do all this, right. even if I don't have any competition, because that's what you do. But she's wrong, because... It's the most epic battle between two brands that has ever existed is the battle between Coke and Pepsi. It's been going on since like the 50s, even probably even before that. So it was just kind of an odd thing that this super intelligent, high achieving girl made that analogy, which I thought was a pretty poor analogy. And it's probably the one part of the film to me that was just too easy to play out. Like it was just I don't know. I didn't really care for that part because then he's like, oh, yeah, he's sitting down. He's watching porn in his basement and he's drinking the Pepsi and he makes the realization like Tracy is Coke. I need to put Pepsi in this situation. And of course that's what leads him on to get Paul. And interestingly enough, he's also drinking out of a Pepsi cup when he throws the drink, but it clearly was not a Pepsi. It was like a milkshake because it was all white that was on the back of that car. So obviously Pepsi paid for a product placement in this, but then so did Coke was Coke in there. Was it, was there any Coke in this? I don't remember that. There. So, the scene where Jim is at home and he gets an apple out of his refrigerator. When he opened his refrigerator, there's no Pepsi in it, but there is two cans of Coke. Interesting. Huh. And when... So that makes it even feel more forced then. Well, <laughs> that's the thing. I was wondering, like, is there product placement or are they purposely going back and forth between Coke and Pepsi in the movie subtly? Could have just been an oversight. That's something super... Especially if they're filming in, like, other people's houses. They probably didn't stock the fridge. Yeah, yeah. They probably just put the prop you know beer in there and then just opened it so i would say it's probably more of a miss well the um the school they were going to send tammy to immaculate heart was that it yeah something like that when she goes down and she's watching the girls play like field hockey she looks at the scoreboard because that tells us the name of the school there's two coke oh endorsements yeah i missed that that's funny the earlier shot so right after he decides that he's going to try to put paul in the election they show a shot of Paul like sleeping at a desk and he was reading the Celestine prophecy. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And his character is supposed to be kind of religious. And I just remembered, Hey, I had a religious studies class in college and we, they made us read that book. Oh really? I've never, I never read it. It's not so good. No. What's it about? Basically this guy gets like a letter from an old colleague who's like a professor about these ancient Mayan texts that are being found like in South America and they, teach people how to like move to some higher level so he goes down there to help uncover these it, the, the story itself seemed like it would be interesting like if somebody described it to you you'd be like oh this is like a indiana jones kind of right thing. but the writing was just i tried to reread it a year or two ago and i can't imagine how i read it the first time the writing right. just seems so so, so, so bad. poor 
And I, I've read the sequel to it, too. I don't know why I read two books. Why did you read the sequel to <laughs> it? No, I don't know. And you tried to <laughs> That's funny. Even, uh, so going back to uh, Tom Parada, I, when I read The Leftovers, the problem was I had watched the first season of The Leftovers, and then I went back and I read the book because I knew they were making a second season. And uh, they were so different from each other. Like, even the characters, the names are the same, but they're, like, in the TV show The Leftovers, the main character is the town sheriff. In the book, he's the town mayor. So they're they're doing very different things then throughout the movie, and so are some of the other characters. And it was just, the book didn't go anywhere. It was just like, this character is doing this in, with his life. Who cares? Like, it was right. so boring. Yeah, you wonder if it's almost like someone read, a writer read that book and was like, ah, it would have been so much better had we done it, like had this happened and then just took it that direction. Well, it was the same kind of deal where like the premise itself seemed exciting and that's right. what made me want to read yeah. it. Like 7 million or 7% of the world just disappears. Hey, that's very interesting. Like what, what happens? But then it was just written like nobody seemed to care. Only about 7% leaves? I feel like that's not that much. Um, Or is it 7% yeah. is left? no I think it's 7% leaves if you watch you have to watch like the whole series they do actually end up explaining everything in the end there were only three seasons but that's way more than you got in the book the book was like season one which just kind of ends and it's just like these were these people like nobody cares yeah I'm very curious how they saw the unpublished manuscript for election and thought oh this will make a a great movie like where does i feel like sometimes that that stuff gets shopped around you know could like there's a lot of um i forget what it's called but there's there's a name for these scripts that are just kind of floating around and they're like the best unmade script like unmade movies uh and there's i can't remember i was trying to i had one i think like miss was mr and mrs smith one there was another movie mm-hmm. that was like a that ended up being like a decent movie that was a script that just sat around and was passed around Hollywood and everyone it's these scripts that everyone around Hollywood knows that it's really really good and no one's making it and I can't remember what the movie I, I, I can't forget but they're just people wrote scripts and they get they get shopped around they get like people buy the rights to them or whatever and then they just end up sitting and no one ever makes them and then people try to get you know they just get chopped around for years um, it happens to a lot of films and then in a lot of cases they've been made and won academy awards or yeah, you know yeah. been critically acclaimed films so it's could be something like that where someone's like hey i got this manuscript you show it to a friend and then boom you never know hey going back to my uh, apples and oranges things real oh quick gosh. when uh when tracy first fa- finds out that paul was gonna run like she saw his name on like a pizza box taped to the wall and she goes over and like yells at him she's walking away and she's talking in her, in her head like you might think it upset me that paul metzler had decided to run against me but nothing could be further from the truth. He was no competition for me. It was like apples and oranges. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. I think that solidifies That's why he's the orange. More. Like, she's yeah. the apple, he's the orange. Did you feel like even at the end of the movie that sort of Jim's character is kind of, he's almost, is it, does it seem to you that he's almost happier than he was no. at the, before the beginning of the movie? His monologue sounds that way, but I, I think he, his personality has gone back to the way his personality was. Because I think in the beginning, they're kind of portraying him as a very chipper guy. He's talking about living at home with his wife and how, like, she's his rock. Thank God for Diane. She was my best friend, my source of love and strength. Oh, sure, we'd had our share of bumpy times, but we'd always seen them through. After nine years of marriage, we were closer than ever. 
what you're seeing and what you're hearing are two different things. Like he's describing his life, but it looks very dull and very boring. Yeah, true. And at the end, he's kind of doing the same thing. He's describing his life. Besides, I'd always dreamed of living in New York. All that excitement and culture. Living in the city brings surprises all the time. Once in a while, I even bump into former students of mine from Carver. Oh sure, my apartment's a little smaller than what I was used to back in Omaha, and the rent's pretty darn steep, but it's got a lot of character, and I'm cozy enough. And he's living That's in this true, yeah. terrible apartment, which they said was... They put on the screen like $1,500 a month that's plus not, utilities. That's not too bad for like a New York City apartment. For that apartment though? It was small. I feel like that's that's crazy. Well, no, that ain't. I have a friend who lived in Manhattan and I think his, uh, he paid like over three grand a month or something like that. This and was 1990. His apartment was pretty small. Not that small, but he had, I mean, he had a bedroom, but it was, it was small. Yeah. It looked like a very small studio. Yeah, I, I think Tracy, it was one of the things when they're kind of doing, everyone's doing their own little uh, monologues at the end. The way that she kind of refers to him is to uh, to Jim when she says, As far as Mr. McAllister was concerned, you might be surprised, but I hardly thought about him at all anymore. Besides, nobody had heard from him in a long time. It was almost like he'd never existed in the first place. Just right. kind of like they go on, think about it, like how often that is, like kids, I mean, think about all the teachers they kind of do like if a teacher just left a lot of cases there's they just get replaced by another teacher and there's very few teachers really have an impact so it's kind of obvious that he was not a teacher that had a huge impact in the school or on kids lives maybe he thought he did mm-hmm. but he was not one of those teachers who stood out as someone who you know like I can think of at least maybe one or two teachers in my high school who had they left there would have it would have been a loss for the school because they were people who were you know great teachers but there were a lot of other teachers that I'm sure would have been like, yeah, it would have been great to have another teacher come in and take their place because they were terrible. Yeah. So, I, I mean, at the same time that she's saying that he's kind of like forgettable, she does also quote the teacher she had an affair with, Dave. I guess it really is like Dave said. If you're going to be great, you've got to be lonely. Which uh, that's that's also similar to what. She quotes her mom. We don't actually hear her mom say it, but in the beginning she says, It's like my mom says, the weak are always trying to sabotage the strong. That's pretty early on in, I think it might be the first like freeze frame shot of Tracy. Yeah. And that really kind of, I think that really defines her character. Like she's not just a go-getter. She's under the impression that everyone's out to get her. So she has to like kind of be more aggressive right up front and not let people like try to cut her down or yeah. sabotage. Honestly, my favorite scene in the movie is toward is like at the end when um Jim's in the car after he's been fired, you know, he resigned. And it's not too much longer after that cuz you can see his eye is still kind of red but it has healed mostly. Right. And there's the kid who, you know, he kind of betrayed by counting the balance and the kid just like, rolls down his window and he pulls up next to him. And it's it's clear that Jim doesn't have power windows because he can't he doesn't just roll the window down. Right. And you know the kid's gonna it's like he's gonna say something or yell at him. But the fact there's the way that he spits on the car is just so like he's just so disgusted with him. He just like spits on his car and puts his window up and drives away. It really showed like I I kind of even felt that that kid was in a way a very Tracy like character. Kind of much much more toned down, but the way that he was like counting the ballots the way that he kind of refused to accept the fact that the way he counted the ballots was wrong kind of talked back to the principal right i just thought it was kind of interesting to see like another kid i was wondering when he spits on the car like is he mad because of what mr McAllister did 
Or is he mad that because of what Mr. McAllister did, he was basically accusing this kid of lying or yeah, being yeah, wrong? Yeah, exactly. Which is definitely, you know, feeling betrayed. Like, why a teacher, why would a teacher do that to a kid, you know? Yeah. Well, going back to Tom Parada, who wrote the novel, on the bonus features on the on the Blu-ray here, he was talking about the reason he wrote this manuscript is he had seen a news story about a student who was running for president in her high school, and she was pregnant while she ran, and I think she did win the election, or maybe she was going to win the election, and there was a, a teacher in the school who tried to do the same thing sabotage Mm -hmm. the election against her because Mm -hmm. he didn't like the fact that she was a pregnant student and that came to light and he got fired huh that's funny and then it kind of goes in about oh it's in the newspaper and it's kind of one of those stories right right with each other yeah i like that's yeah in the newspaper and not he said it's kind of sort of people might email to each other right pinned to a bulletin board yeah like yeah yeah i'm sure that's That's, how he found out about it right (laughs) yeah so all in all i i mean i i definitely like this film and i mean i definitely watched it again it was i thought it it was really funny I didn't think there was really a lot of stuff to comment on from like a cinematography perspective. No. I think The Graduate was more interesting in it, the shot choices and stuff. But this felt, with a few exceptions of the way they kind of like inserted people's faces on certain scenes and the part where, um, you know, Jim's trying to fall asleep and Tracy's like whispering into his ear and it's right. like super close. But I felt like for the most part, there wasn't anything cinematography wise that stood out in this film. To me, it was very straightforward straightforwardly shot nothing really crazy i think most of his movies are are that way too it's more about the the people the characters in the movie and not necessarily a a visual i mean i don't know i I would say that i think i would disagree with that with certain scenes sideways nebraska is definitely very and even in the descendants i feel like it's more granted this is like one of like really like his first like big film but i feel like in those two movies there's definitely a lot more staging and blocking that makes is clear like there's definitely more to that than than this one was for a 90s kind of like comedy style movie yeah i think this this fits that style yeah for sure well that's it for this episode of criterion on the couch you can find the show notes at criterion on the com slash election next time we'll be discussing the breakfast club don't forget to check us out on facebook on twitter we're at criterion couch and on instagram we're at criterion on the couch I'm Adam Murek with Jim Massessa. Thanks for listening. See you next time.